look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Welcome back. You're here with David Faisal. Um, you know, Faisal, we've got uh, an industry, uh, sorry, a population, a demographic that is aging. Um, and with age uh, sometimes comes uh, health concerns. And I can speak personally. My family's been touched by this. It's sometimes those health concerns involve uh, things like dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these have implications on uh, on our industry and how we uh, handle people who might be facing those kinds of challenges to keep it in their best interest and to protect people from those who might want to take advantage of that. That's right. Right? And so it's going to become a bigger and bigger problem. And to help understand a little bit about uh, the industry and some of the things we're thinking about where we're going to try to address some of these concerns, we've got Michelle Alexander joining us today. She's the Vice President of the Investment Industry Association of Canada. Michelle, thanks for taking some time with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about this this demographic shift that's happening. We're all aware that uh, as a population, uh, we've got the baby boom generation getting older, moving into retirement. Uh, and as we get older, as I said uh, at the outset, there are some challenges that, that may come with that. So tell us a little bit about what protections are currently in place for uh, you know uh, our older loved ones or uh, you know your own investment accounts if you're an older person. Um, and I would also want to emphasize uh, people talk about this wave of baby boomers uh, starting to enter retirement, but I think the, f- the fact is the wave is already here. Right. Uh, they're already in retirement. We're seeing this more and more. Um, our um, member firms of the Investment Industry Association of Canada have been looking at this issue for quite some time. Um, and we're all on the same page in terms of wanting to make sure uh, seniors are adequately protected. And um, back in 2014, we uh, produced uh, a guidance report that uh, was sort of a rundown of the best practices that investment dealer firms and advisors are currently using when working Mm -hmm. with senior clients. And it covered a lot of areas in terms of training of advisors, how you um, identify signs of diminished capacity and elder abuse, ways that firms should um, look at their supervisory and compliance structures to meet the changing needs of senior investors. So, for example, that would mean looking at um, the suitability of products for seniors as part of a firm's overall product due diligence and new product approval process. We're looking at a new product. The firm is thinking of introducing how how does that help seniors and is it is it a good investment for seniors? And also in terms of um, advertising and marketing to seniors, uh, in, uh, internal processes for escalating issues. So uh, firms have been looking at this for a long time, but um, while that uh, report and guidance was very helpful, and we've also mentioned it to um, regular people out there who could be, look at this report in terms of things that they should be considering for themselves. Is their firm and advisor looking at these issues? Um, and also in terms of uh, the families of senior clients, how are firms making sure that their parents and other loved ones are adequately protected? Mm-hmm. But we realized, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying yes, I'm following along. I think it's fascinating that people understand that this process has been under. So, so please finish your thought. Um, so, and while that was um, some uh, good first steps 
firms are hungry for more ways that they can help their their clients, um, and some seniors are demanding it as well. Uh, so one thing that we've been looking at within the industry, and we've recently sort of joined forces um, in Ontario at least, the Ontario Securities Commission recently issued a senior strategy, and it aligned a lot with the work that the IAC was doing internally with our private client committee. Um, and that was looking at uh, a new initiative that does exist currently in the United States of a trusted contact person. Right. Um, and that would be uh, a way for firms to make sure that when they open an account, and it doesn't just apply to seniors, it would apply to anyone. Mm-hmm. You open an account, and is there, um, you ask the client, and it's their choice if they choose not to provide it, that's completely their prerogative, to put down a person uh, as their trusted contact person that the firm could contact in case of issues of diminished capacity, of potential suspect. suspect of elder abuse, Um, and that person wouldn't have any authority over the account. So, you know, for example, uh, uh, parents, uh, the, you know, widowed mother lives in Calgary, no children are around, daughter lives in Toronto. The advisor is starting to see some issues with their client. She seems to be a little confused, sometimes seems unkept, is making strange requests regarding her account. So that way the advisor would be able to pick up the phone and call the daughter in Toronto and say, you may want to check in with your mother. There's some things going on and we're a little bit unsure of whether, you know, uh, everything is all right. Can you can you just touch base with her? And that's really sort of the main point. It's not for that daughter to take over the account or make any decisions, but just to be able for the advisor to know that there's somebody who can look out for their for their client. Really, more importantly, all clients, especially seniors, should make sure they have a power of attorney for property in place. Um, The fact is that a lot don't, um, and so this trusted contact person type of initiative would at least be a more, less legal um, authority, but just a way to make sure that advisors have some way of making sure their clients are okay. So, Michelle, how do you, what would you recommend or provide some tips for people to kind of go through the process of who should that person or that contact person be? Because in your example, you picked, you know, they have, they're a widow and they have a they have a daughter out of the city or out of the province, and that I can see that happening. What other ways or what kind of process should a person be looking at to have this type of uh, of selection made, which could be completely different than, for example, a power of attorney or an executor in your will? I mean, it, it really can be anyone. In, in the United States, where they have this as a new requirement as of February 1st, uh, it's really just someone over the age of 18 uh, with, you know, mental facilities in place, etc. But, it, I mean, it should be someone the person trusts. The, the problem is, unfortunately, is when you're looking at elder abuse, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, it's sometimes I have a little pie chart in front of me that shows that um, one study showed that it was 40, the majority of those who abuse the elderly are um, adult children comprise 40% of that. Um, spouses are 15%. So, unfortunately, it's those nearest and dearest who sometimes are can be the problem, 
but that's not that's not the case, obviously, for the majority of people. Um, so it can be a, uh, a child. It can be. Um, it, it cannot be the financial advisor. That is um, definitely something that shouldn't occur. Um, but a relative, a sibling, um, even a friend, um, or anyone else really who that um, client trusts that can and is close enough to that person that they can make sure that they're uh, checking in with them and making right. sure things are okay. So let's say you do get appointed by, as a trusted contact person, and then the advisor calls you up and says, okay, we've, we've got some concerns. How, what do you need to do as that trusted person? Um, there would be no requirements, and I, I think for some firms, it makes them a little nervous that a trusted contact person um, has no authority or no requirements placed upon them. Um, but this is really just a first line of defense. If you're getting to the point of already having to contact a trusted contact person, that means the advisors had some issues. They're not just going to pick up the phone the first time they can't reach their client. So it's, it's at that point where they're asking the trusted contact person to check in with the client. Are they okay? Have a you know, go in and have, sit down with them if there's concerns about diminished capacity. Call their lawyer. Is there a power of attorney already in place that that person knows about? Get that person involved. Get someone else involved um, and meet with the client to make sure that, you know, issues of abuse or diminished capacity, are they in fact present or not? And then the next question is what next steps may need to occur at that point. And so just for some of the people out there who are thinking, I have a living will or a personal care directive, I've selected a person that I trust to handle my health care, my, myself in the event, um, why not just go to them? Why, why are we picking potentially somebody different? Well, um, I should mention that there are two different, legally, there's a power of attorney for property and a power of attorney for health. Correct. Those are completely separate documents, uh, legal powers of attorney. So a living will, will for health is, is, it could be the same person that the person, the client appoints, but under law already, those are two different types of documents with right. um, potentially different individuals. Um, and it's really making sure that the advisor knows who that person is. It's, you know, the client may think that the advisor has that information. If we make it a requirement, a regulatory requirement, that the advisor at least has to ask the question, then it prompts the advisor and the client to have that important conversation of uh, powers of attorney, what to ha- what's to happen in the future, who are the right people to contact. Because as we all know, nobody wants to talk about those types of uncomfortable issues. Yeah. Clients sometimes push back. Advisors sometimes feel awkward raising the issue of diminished capacity with their client. But if you have those conversations early, and again, we're talking about a trusted contact person requirement, not just for, say, over the age of 60 or 65, but for every client, because it happens at some point, could happen to all of us at some point. So the question is, why wait till 60? Why not do it when you're 40 or 30 and, and first uh, meeting with your advisor? And it's up to the advisor to ask those questions as well, as difficult as they may be, because um, for advisors as well, to get into an issue after the fact of a dispute or a complaint regarding, uh, you know, someone, a family member saying, you followed my mother's instructions and now she's depleted her assets, um, that's not a position any advisor wants to be put in later on. 
Very good. Michelle, we have to leave it there. I want to thank you very much for your insight. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. We've been joined by Michelle Alexander, Vice President of the Investment Industry Association of Canada. We're going to have some of that conversation on our upcoming seminar. And that's going to take place on Tuesday, July the 24th. Back to the Tuesday, uh, July 24th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine Spirits Beer. We look forward to seeing you there. To register, you're going to have to give us a call at 966-8400 or you can go to pkag.ca and register online. Now stay, uh, stay tuned. After the break, we're going to talk about how the CPP actually works. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.